Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Overtime Leader Podcast. I am your host, Jillian Davis, founder of Overtime Leader and author of First Time Leader. I am really excited about today's topic because it's something that I think about a lot. Ten years ago, I did my coaching qualification, and at that time, you know, coaching was kind of a thing in West Coast, North America. It was starting to see a rise in East Coast, North America, but it was definitely really, like, immature at an immature stage in London and I would say most of Europe from my experience. Uh, In the past five to seven years, I've seen a huge rise in coaches, um, obviously based on, you know, an interest on a coaching side, uh, but obviously because of demand. So there's been a wonderful kind of movement around destigmatizing what coaching is and more and more people are really opening up to the concept of having somebody else kind of come in and help them with their personal growth. However, I also find I'm kind of torn because there is a little bit of a downside in terms of the industry being quite unregulated. So the International Coaching Federation or ICF does a fantastic job in kind of standardizing a code of ethics on what coaching should be and how it should be practiced. But the reality is that a some people you know, can call themselves a coach without being anywhere near to the ICF regulations. And at the same time, in any kind of industry where, you know, it's face-to-face, even if someone is ICF qualified, then nothing stops them from doing whatever they want in the session. So I'm noticing that people are having a lot of different experiences that based on the ICF rules would not be considered coaching, a little bit more mentoring or advisory, or they have kind of horrible like experiences with a coach. It's not what they thought it was. The expectations weren't clear. And then write off coaching, like basically that one experience defines all coaching and they write it off completely. Uh, the other thing that I've started to see is that workplaces are bringing in coaches sometimes with the best intentions. Other times it's to kind of help have difficult conversations via a coach. And it's just getting a little bit icky. And I feel like sometimes, especially in the workplace, the lines are getting very blurry around what a coach should be doing, shouldn't be doing, what role does a manager play in that um, relationship, etc. I really wanted to kind of get some expert um, input on, you know, what is coaching? Um, how do we differentiate it between other practices like therapy? Uh, so I sat down with therapy expert Dr. Sherry uh, to help us unpack this. She is passionate about destigmatizing therapy and making mental health a positive mainstream topic. She is considered a world-leading expert in all things therapy. So it was super exciting for me to sit down with Sherry and explore topics like coaching versus therapy, how to manage that deregulation and destigmatization. Uh, when should a workplace get involved? When shouldn't it? And how do they follow the code of ethics in those kind of like triage relationships? After doing this interview and like I even I gained a lot from talking to Dr. Sherry, um, my takeaway, my biggest takeaway that I've reflected on is that there are many, many types of coaching in itself, let alone therapy or CBT practices. Like there's just so many things out there. But in terms of coaching, I would say that, you know, Based on not only the certificate, the type of education a coach has received, for example, I did an executive coaching um, diploma and 
I've sat in on other coaching certifications and I've seen the difference in how practices are used and kind of the philosophies behind it. So not only will the training shape the coaching practice, but also how the individual delivers those practices will shift based on each person. So I just kind of like it hit me that, wow, you know, this seems so obvious, but if you're looking for a coach, really take the time to find the right fit for you. And if you have an experience that, you know, you're kind of left going, I don't really think that's what coaching was because it didn't really work for me, or I don't know, it made you feel uncomfortable, or you just felt like you couldn't really let go. It's totally fine to kind of call that relationship off and move on and find the right coach for you. Many, many coaches, it's quite common practice for coaches to give, you know, a complimentary one-on-one session, um, which they call a chemistry session for that reason. Because I know from my experience, I'm limiting my coaching hours because, well, I have to build a business. But if there isn't kind of that vibe on both sides, it's really a waste of resources, both time and money um, for both people in the equation. So you really need to have that kind of glue with your coach because the more that you can open up and feel safe, the more you're going to get out of that relationship. So please, please, please take that time. You know, most coaches will not be offended if you say, I'm just not, you know, vibing and I want to, you know, find a different coach. Um, It's often quite common to like outgrow a coach and you can find, you know, a new coach and get a very different perspective and a different um, experience. So please just take that time to find the right fit for you and really, really get the most out of that coaching experience. That's it for me. And I really hope that you enjoy the interview with Dr. Sherry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Overtime Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Davis. And today I have a really interesting guest, and I am so excited to do this interview. I am with Dr. Sherry, Clinical Director of Harley Therapies, uh, who's also a retired psychotherapist. And today we are going to go through um, some of the differences between coaching and therapy and how uh, people can use those for their benefit in their workplace, but also in their personal life. So welcome, Dr. Sherry. It's great to have you here. Why don't you give a little bit of context as to how you got to where you are? Thank you, Jillian. Really good to be with uh to be here with you and yeah, to talk, talk about therapy and coaching. So my background, uh, how did I get into psychotherapy? A long-winded route. I had a little bit of a spell in investment banking, uh, which didn't suit me. Numbers and money didn't appeal to my soul. I, uh, I did a degree in social anthropology and a module in uh, interpersonal psychiatry and psychotherapy really piqued my interest. So I knew that I wanted to go and train. Um, to become a counselor and therapist, which I did. It took about 10 years, lots of volunteer work um, spanning the fields of alcohol, um, as a women's center. I worked with a mental health charity called Mind in the UK, which is uh, rather large, uh, and a charity called MenCap for Disabilities. And I really found my home. So I worked as a therapist for over 15 years and um, and started building up a clinic, uh, one practitioner at a time. And really, uh, my vocation has been hand-selecting uh, excellent practitioners, which mostly involves uh, psychologists. We call them counseling and clinical psychologists. Um, 
and in the UK, uh, as well as psychotherapists and counselors. Uh, but increasingly, we work with uh, coaches as well. Very cool. So a really broad range of like services and offerings for different client needs. Just Yes, different client needs. And we have, we've built a platform, which is a, the, the later uh, part of my work. Three years ago, mm-hmm. we set up a, uh, a UK-wide uh, marketplace for therapists where we uh, monitor them, curate them, and uh, back up their services. So it's harleytherapy.com, and we have a, uh, a broad range of practitioners and increasingly different kinds of, of, of therapists. So coaching is definitely on the radar there. Amazing. Okay. So the reason why I wanted to have you on um, in particular was, as I mentioned to you before we, we started recording, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. I've definitely seen a huge increase in, um, in coaches and, and the practice of coaching is becoming a lot more normalized, especially in Europe. I know when 10 years ago in the U S it was, you know, kind of much more common and it's taken a while to get that commonality or language uh, in Europe. Um, how ha, have, have you seen that evolution and you know what what are you guys doing about it? I would echo your observations. It is, is it's a field that's growing before it was reserved for just the business world. Now it's opening up, becoming a little bit more um, relevant for the personal sphere as well. And you know I'm going to strip it right back to the basics. I think um, people will get the best out of a practitioner, whether they're a therapist or coach. It, it really depends on the quality of the relationship, the depth of care, and um, and the support that they're given. Mm-hmm. There is, in my in my view, obviously a distinction between therapy and coaching, which is that psychotherapy is much more um, involved with understanding um, one's whole um, life experience including uh, how, how your kind of worldview you get, a, you, you need in, to do good therapeutic work to get a good formulation, all-rounded formulation of someone and their presenting issues. And it's often focused on working with psychological distress. Um, whereas coaching doesn't necessarily, it could, it could help with psychological distress indeed. It doesn't know, need to know, the practitioner doesn't need to know the full context of a person. Mm-hmm. It's much more forward-looking, um, much more goal-focused, I would say, uh, structured, probably proactive, perhaps even a bit more time-limited than psychotherapy in general. There's always exceptions to, 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 to each one, of course. And I know that as you know, going through coach training that was very much, um, you know, uh, highlighted to us um, as coach practitioner practitioners, we have to be really um, aware of those boundaries and, you know, not to step over them because, and I always say like, I'm not, I have not done 10, 10 plus years of research and um, like, I'm not a therapist and I, should not, I should not do any therapy. Um, I love doing therapy myself, but I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. And therefore it is very much, let's look forward, not all the way backwards. And, um, you know, do you think the onus is on the coach to kind of know those boundaries and to call them when they might be being overstepped by the client? I think boundaries in a professional setting are, are important anyway. Even if you take a sports coach, it's important that you don't get too involved in the person's life if, if it's to the mm-hmm. detriment of, of their, their task at hand. So boundaries in, in, in lots of settings are, are really important, I think, to, to, to establish 
accomplish. Um, having, a, I suppose, having experience of being a psychotherapist, you are more attuned to very, very subtle nuances. Everything that you say in, in, in a psychotherapeutic context can have meaning. The way you write a letter, the way you mm-hmm. speak to a client. Whereas I think perhaps on the coaching side, it doesn't matter as much you uh, you don't have to worry so much about the client's sensitivities. You presume that they've got a level of cognitive and uh, I suppose day-to-day functioning that you don't have to worry about opening up wounds and uncovering further distress. Um, I, I suppose you're kind of working on the basis of a solid, perhaps more of a solid foundation and therefore you're able to push further and boundaries could be a little bit looser. So, for example, I expect coaches in general might be a little bit more open with their with their clients in terms of how much personal material they might share. In the world of therapy, most therapists work in a more blank screen way uh, where they don't reveal a lot of their own material unless it's of particular relevance to the client. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't even been aware of that distinction, but I think you bring an interesting point because as I'm seeing uh, coaching becoming more of a more and more of a, a thing in the workplace, so it's not necessarily individuals seeking out coaches. Um, the workplace is providing co- coaching for their employees, for their managers, um, as an additional service. Um, I think it does pose an interesting question around, you know, when you talk about stable ground, for example, if coaching can sometimes uncover things that we weren't aware of, and, you know, is is there a risk of actually it's therapy that they need, but because it's a workplace setting, you know, they hadn't realized it and, and you know, it can get a little bit blurred lines, I can imagine. Do you have any like thoughts on the role that therapy or coaching plays in the workplace? Um, yes, and I actually think that um, some of the coaches that I that I'm a- aware of are very clear on their limitations, mm-hmm. and someone does react at a certain uh, topic or point that is beyond uh, what they feel that they can uh, contain, then they might often recommend them to to see a psychotherapist um, or indeed a GP if it's something that's perhaps needing a bit more sort of medical attention, more mental health related. Um, So it's good to be able to understand your scope um, and not to step beyond it because you want to help the clients. Sometimes you can do it if you've got a good supervisor and Mm. bring learn on the go, especially if you're simultaneously undergoing a psychotherapy training, then, you know, some, 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 we, I work with many people who are both, they're both psychologists and coaches as well, and they can wear both hats. Um, But, but if not, it's a little bit like, you know, you, you uncover your soul or or you open up to your hairdresser, the hairdresser should know (laughs) at, at some point to, to that, it, that it's beyond their, 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 uh, their, their realm and their depth. And of course, yeah. it's in no way to compare a hairdresser with, with a coach, <laughs> but it's just understanding, understanding, understanding functions and, uh, and, and, and limits. But like I said, a really important driver of change is that connection, that personal connection. And you can go really far with a coach if you've established conditions of, of trust, um, regard, and a kind of a feeling of safety that you understand and, and you, you do sense that things have been um, spoken about confidentially and that that is uh, preserved. I think people can really develop um, on, a, on a psychological level um, with, with a coach. Um, 
even though it may be um, not something that the, the coach has ne necessarily trained in. For example, something like um, an addiction or, or abuse. If someone opens up and you feel that it's contained um, in, enough, then perhaps some therapeutic value um, is to be had, uh, as long as you understand where the where the limit is drawn. Right. Yeah. I think. I think it, you know very much, and and I feel myself saying this often, like you know, coaching is not the fix all and, and the client has to do the work, you know, like we've, I've, I remember when I was doing, especially pro bono early days of coaching and you'd have sessions and, and you know, you'd meet after two weeks or whatever. And they, you ask like, what have you done since the last session? And it's like, oh, nothing. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get, you'll get some value, but you won't, you'll get so much more value if you as the, the client or the person seeking that kind of help also does the work. And I think it then makes you much more open to things, discoveries that you wouldn't have had without having someone kind of putting a mirror up to you, helping you reflect. Um, yeah. And I, I can see how that would have also like psychotherapeutic benefits as well. I'd never even considered that. Um, but yes, I think it's very important. I agree that the line needs to be drawn by the coach and and read that situation so that they pull in the right kind of support um, if it ever starts to feel on the yeah. more riskier side. And, and Jen, you make an excellent point about um, about working because I think in both therapy and coaching, work does need to be done in the sense in the same way that anything you're putting your mind to, whether it's learning a new language, whether it's learning to play chess or a new sport, and if you have someone assisting you, a coach or a teacher, if if you're just doing if you're just attending the the sessions but not thinking about it practicing uh it reflecting on it outside of the session you just won't go as far so the more that you put in it doesn't necessarily have to be homework it, it particularly in coaching and, and very proactive uh styles of therapy such as cognitive behavioral therapy yes there's homework where you might fill in diaries and um and and you you might sort of challenge your your distorted thoughts and, and label them and list them you can also in more psychoanalytic uh therapy you can also do hard work by bringing uncomfortable memories um thoughts thoughts about the therapist that too i think classifies it as a hard work but mm -hmm. it needs to be it, it needs to have the input from the client it is definitely um a, a two-way process that you, you you're not coached um in in a passive sense you, yeah. it's, it's collaborative i believe no coaching by osmosis <laughs> yeah. okay and kind of a hot topic that i feel myself thinking a lot about over the past years as there's been, you know, a significant increase in um, coach training programs. Um, and I've also, you know, from as soon as I got into coaching, you know, I met people that labeled themselves as coaches, but actually didn't, hadn't gone through any, you know, regulated cert certifications. And I think the ICF does, you know, an amazing job in trying to manage like the coach, coach training ethics or coach approach um, so that there is a level of standardization. I would really love your thoughts on like, the regulated versus unregulated approach to the coaching industry. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm drawn to the idea of of a um, of a regulation accreditation. The more people can show that they um, live up to certain standards, I think it helps the public 
decide and choose um, in the same way that you can get, you know, professional um, qualifications for teachers. They, they need to have passed certain uh, criteria in order to become a, a teacher. That's, I mean, that's not to say that there aren't some exceptional coaches mm. and therapists who have no accreditation because there are some who just, they're not very, um, let's say, academic, or they don't love the paperwork, and they just practice from, you know, from their heart, and they provide immense benefits to a large number of clients. But there are, are the odd kind of rogue, um, rogue, let's call them practitioners, um, who don't really, um, maybe they don't have their, their clients' genuine interests at heart. They might think they do, but they might be giving them like too much advice. It might be too guiding, um, uh, leading them towards a path that the, the client hadn't wanted to go down to, but was maybe more impressionable. Um, and they can do some damage. So for that reason, unfortunately, it's kind of to protect from, yes. from rogue practitioners that and, and to help the public make a clearer decision on who they want to work with. Um, I think the more the more um, standardization, the better. I mean, in the UK, there's a, there's a difficulty in, in therapy, which is that there's there's so many regulating bodies in the profession that the public still is, is confused. But usually if, if a therapist is, is registered with one or more bodies, then that will suffice because they are ultimately accountable to that body and they can be struck off um, if there's any um, a wrongdoing re reported and if, if it's found to be uh, um, valid. Yeah, it's so hard to regulate coaching because also you might get the accreditation and in practice, you know, go totally against what the accreditation stood for. I, I think that's really the challenge. And I want to build on something or pull out something that you said around, um, you know, not leading people to answers and, and taking more advisory role. I think it's, it's helpful to call that out for those listening that may have a coach or are seeking a coach um, because you really just defined, you know, the <laughs> pure coaching 101 is that it's not an advisory role. It's not to guide, it's to really help them get to their own, own place. So how, how can you recognize as a client if you've got a good coach? I think it's, it's a little bit like dating. You kind of know if you've got the right, if you've got the right fit. And sometimes it does take more than one, one shot yeah. at it. I think that the hit ratio is better with coaching and therapy <laughs> than, uh, than finding a, 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 a life partner. Um, but it's, it's chemistry just because one therapist or, or coach doesn't, you don't gel with doesn't mean that they're necessarily not good for someone else. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes, sometimes people like to, to work with practitioners who share um, their experiences. They may have come from a similar background, but for some people, it's very much the opposite. They want a different perspective, whether it's gender, whether it's on culture, whether it's on like different working from different uh, work uh um, you know, professional backgrounds. It is very much just a matter of, of, of feel and your goals aligning with what the, what the coach can offer, I think. Yeah. I think if you feel that you're improving, that's really all that matters. And I know in my cases, sometimes it, I've, advisory actually is the right thing to do, but I always make sure to let them know that I'm taking my coaching hat off. Like it's not to ban all advice, but the default should be to help them push forward and push through and learn and stretch and grow. Um, now I want to run a scenario by you. So we've got a lot of um, managers that listen to our podcast 
And I want to run a scenario by you that's come up a few times. Um, and we've now figured out how to manage this, but we've had managers or, or, you know, business leaders come to us and say, Oh, I've got someone on my team that I think needs a coach. Could you coach them? Why do you think, or do you think that that's a good approach? Yes or no. And why not? Or why? So. So Jillian, absolutely fascinating question. It, it hits right to the heart of one of our biggest problems in our therapy clinics, which is third parties pushing other people to seek uh, support. Yeah. And it, it is so, so difficult to encourage someone to, uh, to actually get them to do the work that someone would do if they were inspired to do on their own. It's so, so different. Um, it, the, the best that you can do, I think, is to inspire people by talking about your own experiences about, about how the coaching or therapy has helped you. Perhaps give them a taster. They have a one session, but mm. they cannot be forced to do it because it's a little bit like you, you will rebel if you're if you're told you can only do this or um, we have this instinct in, in us to be very autonomous and to come to our own decisions. And the best therapeutic work, I think, happens when that person is motivated to change and where anyone is on the, on the cycle of, of motivation at any given point, it, it varies on, on their own circumstances. All I think you can do is be, provide a, a role, be a role model to them, um, perhaps give them a flavor of it, a taste, and then let them decide if they're going to want to, to, to embark on it uh, or not. That's not to say that it sometimes works if, you know, if there's a big intervention and, and um, someone is forced into it, it could still work. Um, but the best, I think, change happens when someone is really keen um, to, to want to make that change. And then as for, as for our, our other bug, bugbear, which is third parties wanting to hear back about how the therapy yes, is that going. Was gonna, that was going to be my next question, because that also happens. It's a private space and the, and the work benefits from that sphere of confidentiality. So when it's intruded on, when the person knows that they are going to have their sessions reported back to someone, especially if it's a manager, I think that they're not going to be as inclined to be, to be, to be as open. And uh, that's problematic for, for the work. Um, so it, as much as we call them loved ones, you know, as much as the loved ones and the outer circle want to see, um, see they're the, the people they're concerned about work with care about they want to see them do do better and go further and make change and grow the only people we can really change is is ourselves to, to start with and then being be an example of that I think I'm aggressively nodding my head <laughs> over here um yeah that's fantastic and to be honest from experience so when I was starting out, you know, like, oh yeah, sure. Like I just really want coaching hours. Um, and I learned from experience that those were the worst coaching experiences for on both sides because they were not willing. And so now our position is you have to be explicitly clear with that person why you think they need coaching. This it's always in a workplace setting. So if you are hoping that they're gonna like change their attitude through coaching, but you're not making that transparent to them that you think they have an attitude problem, then we're not interested. So it has to be explicitly clear between all, all three of us involved. And we will never report back um, unless with consent from the coachee. But you're right. Like it's such a waste of time and resource on all sides when 
you know, it's not coming from within and they're not willing to do the work and they're not trusting of the process and they haven't had a chance to select the coach that they are supposed to open up to. Not a good scenario. The outcome is it's always, always better when the person has got a vested interest in, in at least having a try. It doesn't mean you have to ace coaching or ace it in <laughs> therapy. It's, it's all about self-discovery, growth, um, and, and, you know, push it, you know, being, being better, being a better version of you in, in whatever, whatever capacity. And that is a beautiful thing, but not everyone is ready for it at, 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 at a given time. Mm, that's yeah, very true. Um, okay. On that, um, I want to one, thank you so much for your time. This has been really valuable. Do you have any like words of wisdom or advice for some of our listeners that, you know, might are thinking about getting a coach or are thinking of getting somebody else a coach? <laughs> Yeah, well, Jillian, our motto is, and this is our this is our strap line, everyone needs a therapist. And by therapist, I actually mean mentor, coach, teacher, someone who the, the more individual the 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 attention in a way, which gives you the space to discover more about yourself and push you forward is an absolute, absolute gift. It's also a real sign of strength to go into it rather than a weakness because you're, you're lacking in something. So I, I think we do better in every domain in life and any subject we study, whether it's, whether it's a science, whether it's a sport, whether it's ourselves or our ability to work, it's best done with a caring um, person uh, as third party, not, not, not too involved in our lives, mm. uh, impartial person by our sides. I think it's an absolute um, gift. If you can, if you can take advantage of that. That's fantastic advice. And I love that ta- tagline. I think I might name this podcast. Everybody needs therapy. Cause it's so true. You can't, you know, we think we're so strong as individuals, but we really need that, that I've seen it myself. Like it was transformative for me when I started you know, understanding the benefit of coaching, seeing a coach. And I really don't think I could have done what I've done without having that objective person checking in on me, holding me accountable, but also letting me have that space to talk about myself. It's invaluable. Here, here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, I will link all the links to um, Harley Therapy will be in our bio. So I encourage any of our listeners to please reach out to Dr. Sherry and her team. So thank you, Dr. Sherry. Thank you very much, Jillian. Thank you for listening to the Overtime Leader Podcast. We are dedicated to provide our listeners with insightful, thought-provoking, and practical content because we believe leaders are not made overnight. They are made over time. Overtime Leader is a transformational leadership and management development agency that supports leaders navigate the complexity of leading a technology company. Through our management and leadership programs, we focus on getting our clients to think critically increase their team's capabilities, and have the collective confidence to make change happen. If you are looking to unlock the leadership potential in your business, check out the website at www.overtimeleader.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn.